A Bible verse for today is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. May God bless the reading of God's word for the salvation of our souls. You may be seated, please. any better? Now we're good to go, hey? Imagine how awkward I feel right now. So that's a good way to start. Get those nerves out of the way. Now the, the butterflies can float away and, uh, and we can begin. So great Sunday when we have a baptism. It's, uh, it's good to participate in, uh, in the story of somebody else in our church family who's getting to know Jesus more and more every day. And so today we're getting back into our study of the book of Colossians, and the scripture passage that we're talking about this morning has to do with suffering. Now, suffering is how I feel right now. <laughs> it may seem like an inappropriate message to follow a baptism, but not only is it where we are in the series, but I think it might actually be a good topic to discuss following a baptism. Because when you become a Christian, you surrender yourself to Jesus and commit your life to follow him. Contrary to popular Christian books on health and wealth and prosperity, Jesus actually says that in this world, you're going to have trouble. So he warns us. He prepares us for it. But Jesus didn't finish there. Jesus went on to say, but don't fear. Don't worry. I have overcome the world. But I have not overcome the echo in my ears. Are we going with two mics?
So Jesus warns us. The scriptures warn us. Even Paul warns us. 2 Timothy says, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And of course, Paul also warns us that suffering and persecution are part of the Christian life way more than health, wealth, and prosperity. So before we dive back into that New Testament book of Colossians, I want to talk a little bit about what this young man, Alpha Cargo, did this morning. You see, Alpha is a guy who's had his life impacted by circumstances and change, just like all of us. But you see, he paid attention to the people God put on his journey and on his path. And as he shared this morning, these other followers of Jesus helped point him to the Christian life and to lead him to the Savior. But more importantly, Alpha is a person who opened himself up to letting God's Holy Spirit lead him into a deeper commitment in his relationship with Jesus. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that when you surrender what you think is control over your life over to God, something amazing happens. God fills you with his spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives you peace. A peace that the world can't understand. A peace that surpasses human intellect. Because trust me, I have seen followers of Christ go through some of the most difficult trials ever. And yet somehow, they have this peace. They've got this faith that's filled with joy. And it's just awesome to see how they exhibit this trust in their Lord God that he is in control. You can't muster up that kind of faith in your own strength. It happens by you coming to Jesus and asking him to carry your heavy load. Man, the burdens that people have to carry are heartbreaking. And in some cases, it's seemingly impossible. And it's all because we live in a world that's broken and filled with sin. And people are lost. And they're itching for peace. And they're scratching every possible part of life, hoping to find fulfillment and completeness. But that sense of being made new and, and being put back together, you know, so we can be whole, that can only come when we come back to the one who created us, the Lord God Almighty. And when we humbly fall on our knees and ask him to change us, he starts to put the pieces back together. Now, Jesus Christ himself actually gave this change a name. He is the one who called it being born again. A supernatural birth where you come before a holy God and admit your brokenness and your darkness and your sinfulness. And then at the foot of the cross, you admit your need for a savior. And then you stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to work hard enough. And then with a repentant heart, you accept God's free gift of grace and forgiveness. Because somebody already paid the price for your sin and mine. And when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you and me. And Jesus' dying words about sin were, it is finished. What's finished? The problem of sin is finished. Sin is the reason why the world is the way it is. The Bible teaches us that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Each and every one of us, you and me. And yes, 
homosexuals fall into that category, just like liars and thieves and drunkards and gluttons and murderers and rapists and child abusers and terrorists. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The rich and the poor, the sad, the angry, the happy, the just, the proud, the lazy, the hardworking, the wise, the followers, the leaders, everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. We're all separated from a holy God. But you know, we're also separated from each other. And that's a huge problem for us because we're relational creatures. We were born to be in relationship. So we all fall short of God's glorious standards. We are all sinners except one person. One person did not fall short. He was fully human and fully God. He was a carpenter from Nazareth, or so we thought. The one person who the entire history of the world is centered on did not fall short of the glory of God. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when he cries out on the cross that it is finished, then it is finished. Amen? The penalty for your sin and mine has been taken care of once and for all and forever. So stop trying so hard to earn God's love or to make him love you by your good works. Because God's grace is why we can be made whole again. God's grace is why we can be made new. God's grace is why we can mess up and fall down and get up and keep going. God's grace is why we can be forgiven. And he says to all of us today and every day, come. Come to me, you who are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. I will give you rest. I'm telling you, friends, that is what your soul is craving. It's rest. It's God's peace that you desire. You want that blessed assurance that God is in control. And you can. Because he is in control. And how do I know he's in control, you ask? Because Jesus didn't stay on that cross, my friends. I'm sorry, my Catholic brothers and sisters. I don't like your crosses with Jesus hanging there. Because he's not there. Jesus is alive. He was risen. That's why we're here today worshiping God. Amen. Because Jesus is alive. And at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He was taken off that cross, and he was buried in a tomb. But three days later, when his followers showed up at the graveyard, the angel said, why are you looking for Jesus here in the graveyard? He's not here. He's alive. And my friends, that's what happened here this morning with the celebration of Alpha's baptism. He will experience the victory of Jesus in his day-to-day -day life as God guides him by leading him through the power of the Holy Spirit. But also, this victory means Alpha will spend eternity with Jesus because death has no power over the believer. Death is simply the door into the next part of the Christian journey. And many of us in this church today, not all of us, but many of us, we have also taken the step of faith in what Alpha did here this morning. We also held a press conference and told the world, and we got dunked for Jesus. And we let everyone know that we're with Jesus. He is our Lord and King, and we're never going to be the same. And just like Jesus went into the grave, Alpha went into that water. Three days later, Jesus rove over, victorious over sin and death. And when Alpha came out of that water, he is showing us a living symbol of the victory of Jesus. And that victory is available for each and every one of us. So today, if your heart is being stirred, or you sense a drawing to know more, 
or you hear Jesus say to you, now is the time, then don't fight it. Don't question it. Just obey it. And you take the next step of faith. And for some of you this morning, that means coming to me afterwards and saying, you know what, Freddie? I want to go to that baptism information class next Saturday. And that's great. I'll see you there. There may be others of you this morning who want to plant your feet here at Thornhill Baptist Church because you believe in what God is doing in this little church family in the northwest of Calgary. And you want to get involved a little bit more and see what it means to volunteer here. So you can come next Saturday and come to the membership information class. And I'll see you there too. Excellent. And if you're not following Jesus here this morning, well, let me tell you, today, today is your day of salvation. You may never be as close to Jesus Christ as you are right now, as you have been in the last couple months. Today, God has a word for you. It's time to make it real. Pray for Jesus to be your Lord this morning. And you can walk out of here knowing that your journey has just made a 180 degree turn. A turn towards repentance and salvation. And get ready because Jesus will change you. Alpha, you've been a blessing in my life, brother. I thank you. I thank God that our paths have crossed. And it's good to be on this great adventure with you. God created you for a reason. And while you're still trying to figure that out, I encourage you to keep living for him, okay? And you're going to see some pretty cool things in your life because God is absolutely amazing. He will blow your mind. That brings us to today's sermon. We are in the book of Colossians. Thank you, Eben. 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 Thank you for reading chapter 1, verse 24. So with the time remaining, let's unpack this topic of Christian suffering. Uh, before I read it again, I'm just going to recap to how we got to verse 24 this morning. Just a reminder, this letter to the Colossians was written to some fairly new Christians in the city of Colossae. This church at Colossae was a, a young church plant just starting out, but it was growing. And we know that their foundation was in the gospel, just like Thornhill Baptist Church. And we know that from chapter 1, verses two, or verse 23. And we know that they're growing in the gospel because of verse 5 and 6. And they were living out the gospel because of verse 4. And Paul's overall encouragement for this church is just do what you've already been doing. Stay on the same path. Don't veer from the path. Just because they're going in the right direction, though, it doesn't mean that they're going to be immune to any attacks that will come against them. And they, they lived in a culture with heavy pagan influences. In fact, the city that they lived in, Colossae, was rampant with sin. And now, their church was made up of Gentiles and as well as Jews. And on both sides, these two groups of people brought in heavy influences from their former lives. So you had Greek philosophy that was coming in with some, and you had Jewish legalism that was coming in with others. And on both sides, there was the potential for heresy, and false teaching that would begin to move people away from the simplicity of Christ and Christ alone. The truth that God shows amazing grace to sinners through what Jesus and Jesus alone did for us with his death and resurrection was just too easy for some Colossians. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. That was troubling for them. Because like many people, they wanted to feel like they earned it. Like they worked for it, or, or somehow they figured it out by learning some deeper secret knowledge. 
Or maybe they simply wanted to be good enough. Maybe they kept most of the rules. Now, their pastor, or at least the main Christian leader of this group of Christians, his name was Epaphras. There's a name you might want to name one of your child if, if you're pregnant there. Epaphras. That sounds like a pretty good name. What do you think, students on the balcony? I see you up there. Epaphras is a good name. You won't get picked on in school for that name, right? Epaphras was a wise Christian leader. Now, he saw this lingering heresy, that, that this false teaching about the new Christian faith that was beginning to creep into the lives of these new believers at Colossae. So he took a 1,300-mile road trip to Rome to visit Paul in prison. The Apostle Paul. You see, friends, Epaphras understood the importance of the topic that was on the table. If the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ was not made clear and precise for these young believers, especially in the early stages of this new grassroots movement called the Christian faith, then the faith might have been lost before it ever got going. So to secure this truth of the preeminency of Christ in all things, Epaphras went on this long, long journey to seek out direction and guidance from the best available resource, the great and wise Apostle Paul, the Christian persecutor turned Christian leader, the man, the myth, the legend, the Apostle Paul. So he went to visit Paul in Rome, in prison, and he shared the situation in Colossae. And he shared the false teachings and the heresy that was creeping into the lives of this church plant. And now, when we flip open our Bibles to this little New Testament book, what we find is Paul's written response to Epaphras' concerns. So everything you see here that we read in these four chapters is from the letter that Paul wrote directly to Epaphras and the church. And now, if you read these four chapters, you read the letter, you can see that the heresy and the false teaching hadn't yet fully crept into the church, but it was there. However, with each of the challenges that Paul addresses, he consistently and continually led them back to one specific thing, Jesus. Every single time that something comes up, Paul says, Jesus. He points them back to Christ. That is, your journey started in Jesus your maturity will be in knowing and following Jesus. The way that you endure through anything is with Jesus. Continue to walk in the light of the life and teachings of Jesus. And continue to take the gospel of Jesus to your jobs and schools, your neighborhoods and communities, your sports teams, your clubs, activities, whatever. But just remember, it was and is Jesus first, Jesus always, and Jesus alone. And we learned at the very beginning of this series in Colossians that if we were to sum up the entire book, we could sum it up with this. Jesus is all you need. That is the book of Colossians. That is the overview of how we got to verse 24 this morning. So in verse 24, let's read it again and, and see if you pick up on a couple of key things. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. For your sake, and in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking for Christ's afflictions. What? Oh, 
What did you say there, Pastor Freddie? Did, did, did you just say that he was rejoicing in his, in his suffering? And not only that, Freddie, did you just say what I think you said? Did you say that we were lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is that correct? Did the Apostle Paul actually write that? I mean, what on earth could be lacking about Christ's afflictions? I mean, I thought when Jesus died on the cross for all our sins, he died on the cross for all our sins. I mean, didn't he cry out on that good Friday, it is finished? And in fact, that is correct. You would be right. But nonetheless, this particular verse, verse 124 in Colossians, is the most disputed verse in the entire book, if not the entire New Testament. Now, why? Because some people would suggest that it leads us to believe that somehow Christ's atonement on the cross was insufficient. Now, that's a pretty blatant contradiction of what the entire Bible teaches, not to mention a contradiction of the entire point that Paul is trying to make in this letter to the Colossians, because the whole premise behind the letter and the letter's teaching is that Jesus Christ is all you need. He is sufficient. And when Paul writes, I do my share on behalf of the church in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions, what he is saying is, as a follower of Jesus, I am doing my part in promoting the gospel and furthering Christ's work, even though it's leading to my suffering and persecution. Does that make sense? In other words, Paul is helping us understand that as followers of Jesus, we have a purpose for our lives. Alpha, you have a purpose. And sometimes that purpose means suffering for the sake of the gospel. We serve a God who suffered on our behalf. And now as his followers, some of us are going to have the opportunity to suffer for him and to bring glory to God. You see, friends, when Christians go through a time of suffering and persecution, there is a big shining light of glory that's pointed towards the Lord God, God Almighty. As we profess our trust and our hope in him, no matter what the circumstance is. So anybody who reads verse 24 and interprets it as what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, they're simply misunderstood. And there's nothing farther from the truth in the rest of scripture. In fact, the Greek word that's used for suffering here is not used anywhere else in the New Testament to describe Jesus' dying on the cross for our sins. And the Greek word used for afflictions here is talking about the pressures of life. So have you ever heard the saying that life is full of ups and downs? Well, the word for afflictions here is talking about the downs, the downs of life. Now, that's all we're going to say about that. We're going to move on here because there's a lot of ideas out there that relate to Christian suffering. And when I say Christian suffering, I am referring to those who suffer for the cause of Christ. And the one truth I want to share here this morning with all of us is that it's normal. Suffering and being persecuted for our association with Jesus is normal. But it's not normal for you and me or most of us here today. Because where you live is what really determines the kind of persecution and suffering that you will experience. And you and I live in the best country in the world. Amen? Canada. We live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So right at the beginning, we need to state the very obvious. In Canada, Christians are blessed. 
And this is why I'm saying Canada is one of the best countries in the world. We need to be careful to lay out at the beginning of any sermon, any message on Christian suffering, especially as Canadians, not only because of where we live, but as a result of being Canadian citizens, we have immense freedom and wealth. And it can get awkward to talk about suffering or persecution in light of all our blessings, right? I mean, the only suffering and persecution that we Canadian Christians really face comes in the form of social bullying. I mean, in some parts of the world, there are brothers and sisters in Christ really suffering and being persecuted with torture and imprisonment and in some cases, death. Just read the back of your bulletin. Every Sunday, there's, there's a story about the persecuted church. Or go and type in persecuted church in Google and, and explore what other Christians around the world are, are living day to day for their faith. So for us in North America, in particular Canada, we experience a form of Christian suffering and persecution, but it comes from social bullying. And we do see a lot of that. Even uh, at Christmas time, the star of the hit TV show Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson, um, was an example of this because he said homosexuality was something that he didn't believe in as a Christian. You see, our society has a growing trend to where it's normal to attack and ridicule the Christian church or Christians, especially in public forums like television or on the news or other forms of media like radio or online, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, colleges, universities, school system, courts, politics, wherever. There's an attack against Christian values and our teachings and our belief system. And some of our society's most powerful voices, celebrities, judges, politicians, Musicians, scientists, doctors, they throw out ideas like Christians are intolerant or Christians don't stand for what the rest of our culture does. And so I do understand that there is a form of Christian suffering and persecution in Canada. But I've learned, and I'm sure you have too, that it's mostly on the level of social bullying. And I'll share a little bit more about that at the end. So we recognize that we have been blessed. We understand we have a responsibility to be good stewards of our blessings not just locally, but globally. And we need to be careful when we talk about suffering and persecution because we don't fully experience it in our day-to-day -day lives, especially compared to our other brothers and sisters around the world. And the Bible is very clear on the reality of Christian suffering and persecution. Matthew 5.10 says that those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of God. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. John 16, 2 and 3, the time is coming when whoever kills you will believe they're doing God a service because they have not known the Father or Jesus. Mark 13, you will be hated for my namesake, but that those who endure will be saved. 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken struck down, but not destroyed. Peter says, even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. The devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour Christians, but resist him. Know that the sufferings that you are suffering are experienced by brothers and sisters around the world, but the God of all grace, after you've suffered a while, will establish you forever and ever. To him be the glory. And now some of those passages are just a few 
but they're applicable to us today simply because of our association with Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear. Suffering and persecution is very normal. And another point worth noting here is it is possible to grow through suffering and persecution. Not everybody does, but it is possible. Because anybody can go through suffering, but it takes an honest, real choice to not let bitterness and resentment take root, but to actually decide to cling on to Jesus and stay close to him every step of the way. And not all suffering is Christian suffering. Some suffering happens just because we're human. Some relationship problems, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, financial issues, they're just some suffering that comes from living. And there's even some suffering that comes from the poor choices we make, right? If you make a decision to sin, then it's quite possible you're going to suffer the consequences of that choice. If you make a decision to go into debt, you might suffer the consequences of economic hardship. There is just some suffering that happens as a result of bad choices. And then there's the last group, the one we want to be a part of, and that is those who suffer because of their association with Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not like we want to be a part of suffering, but suffering comes our way because we are connected and affiliated with Jesus Christ and his church and his message and his kingdom. It, it, it's part of it, Alpha. Now, for those of you who want to go home with uh, a nugget of truth here this morning, here it is. On the slide behind me, Christian suffering has a purpose and value that goes beyond ourselves and the moment. The hardest thing to do when someone is going through a tough time of suffering is to try and make sense of it in the moment. Why is this happening? When is it going to end? God, why are you not answering my prayers? People have the need to try and figure it out why something is happening to them in the moment. But most of the time, they look to themselves. Why is this happening to me? Why, God, are you not answering my prayer? And if it's genuine Christian suffering, then, then they're losing the focus. And that is for God to be glorified. Biblical Christian suffering has a purpose and a value beyond ourselves and the moment. It's not about us. It's about God and his divine plan. That's the key. That's the difference between Christian suffering and Christians who suffer. And that's why Paul says here in this scripture that he rejoices in his suffering. Because we can have joy knowing that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And Paul knew that. He was part of God's divine plan. God has a purpose for him. God is using him to further the kingdom. Paul could be down and out and depressed because he's locked up in jail, suffering. But he realizes that this is not about him. God is doing something through him and gives him a whole new perspective on his current suffering. So suffering and persecution and joy should never be separated. Just like Acts 5.41 says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They had joy because God looked at them and saw them as worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And we will close with this question. Why is suffering or persecution a reason for joy? The Bible gives us at least four reasons. Number one, it leads us to greater intimacy with God. Suffering keeps us dependent on God. And if we're dependent on him, then we need to spend time with him. And the more time that we spend with him, the more we get to know him. And the more we get to know him, that leads to greater intimacy. Number two, it's a sign of godliness. 
2 Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live that godly life in Jesus, you will suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4.14 says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Why are you suffering? Because God's glory is resting on you. Number three, it comes with a reward. These are eternal rewards. From the Living Bible, Romans 8, 17 says, Since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. And this is one of my favorites from 2 Corinthians, from the message actually. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see will last forever. Do you remember who wrote 2 Corinthians? The Apostle Paul. You remember his resume? Beaten, broken, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead, abandoned by his friends, persecuted, constantly, and eventually beheaded by Nero. And he wrote that. That's pretty amazing. The Christian has rewards to look forward to. And finally, number four, the reason for joy during Christian suffering, it is a testimony to the world. It's a part of becoming the visible Jesus. As the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was being stoned to death, he cried out in a prayer to God, and he said, Father, don't hold that against them, what they're doing. He prayed for their forgiveness. Wow, that is different. Anybody looking on would have been impacted by that, by those final words, this prayer from a man being stoned to death. What a testimony. He was asking for forgiveness for those who were killing him. It almost sounds like another guy at the end of Luke was hanging on that cross, and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So suffering for the cause of Christ is a reason for joy. Now... Remember, we are very blessed in Canada, and suffering and persecution that we face will be different than any other parts of the world. And I mentioned social bullying is going to be part of our suffering and persecution. And out of that social bullying, you will face, you will be ostracized for your beliefs, you'll be ridiculed for your faith, and you'll be singled out for what you stand for. And to be honest with you, I think I can handle a little bit of social bullying especially when I'm reminded of my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are tortured daily, imprisoned daily, and sometimes put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. I can handle a little social bullying. So at this time, I am going to conclude by uh, saying a little prayer for us, and then I'm going to invite up our brother Alpha and present him with a certificate of baptism. And then we're going to head downstairs for those of you who want to stay for some lunch and uh, enjoy some soup. But first, let us pray, and, uh, and Alpha will invite you up here. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Through him, 
we find peace that our soul craves and desires. God, it's exciting to be part of a celebration of baptism this morning as our brother Alpha takes another step on the journey of faith. God, we pray that you will continue to put people in his path to teach him, to guide him, but most of all, that the Holy Spirit would be leading his life. And Father, that is our prayer and our plea for Thornhill Baptist Church, that your Holy Spirit would be our guide, leading us every day, every moment, every decision. God, that your Spirit is at the front. We don't know what it's like to suffer and to be persecuted for our faith. But we can certainly stand in support of uh, those brothers and sisters who are fighting every day just because of their association with Christ. There are things that we can do, Lord. I pray now, Lord, for those of us who are about to share a meal together. God, would you bless our conversations today as we hang out maybe with someone we haven't saw in church for a while or some new faces. God, would you just bless what happens after, after the message here this morning? Jesus, we love you. We know that we're built to be in relationship with you and with each other. God, in all things, we find, we find power to live through Jesus. It is in his name that we play, pray and give thanks. Amen. Okay, Alpha, why don't you come on up, my friend, and uh, we'll do a formal picture presentation of your certificate of baptism. And uh, I'll pray with you one more time. So I have a Bible here for you and a certificate of baptism to celebrate this day. Um, once again, it's a special occasion, baptism for any Christian. Uh, it's part of the journey. It, it is a living symbol, but, but today, this is your press conference to tell the world that you're with Jesus, and, uh, and I'm thankful you chose me to be a part of it. Let me pray for you, Alpha. Father God, may the spirit of the living God grow strong in this young man as he continues to find his way in this world. And Lord, your spirit is guiding him one small step of the way every day. And I thank you that not only I, but the rest of the, the family here at Thornhill, we get to play a part in his journey. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. There you go, brother. Congratulations.